0: I want you to take your Bibles. Would you please take your Bibles if you have them or your phones or whatever you're going to use, your tablet, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. We're going to be looking at this for the next two weeks. If you'd like to have a Bible, you don't have one to follow along, lift your hand, and David will make sure that you get one. Uh, I think it's important that we be able to follow along in our scriptures Uh so uh so we wanna begin as we come today just to to study the Bible. And I, I want to start with prayer. Father, I pray that you just open our hearts, open our minds. We're studying a a topic in the next couple of weeks, the next two or three, four weeks that is uh sometimes difficult to understand, to grasp. It's a little beyond our understanding it's futuristic father it's it's beyond today but i pray that you would help us to open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us so that we might be better prepared for when jesus comes that we might see him without shame and we might see him with great joy and be received unto him because we've been faithful So, Father, I just pray for your guidance this morning as we open this to uh, get an idea of what you have for us now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man walking along the beach. There had been a storm there just the night or so before, and so a lot of material junk and different things had washed up. I'm sure that there was uh, seaweed and kelp and all kinds of stuff. And as he was walking along, he saw this lamp it was kind of a magic looking lamp a genie's lamp and it was half buried in the sand it had washed up through the storm uh it was a used lamp he picked it up it wasn't all shiny and bright and he began to brush the sand off and as he did immediately this genie came bursting out of the lamp and the genie looked at him and he says sir this is a used lamp we only have one wish left do you have a wish that you would like to give? And the man thought, and he said, oh, yeah, I have a wish. And he said, "We'll make it. And he said, I wish that you would give me the stock market page from our local newspaper dated one year in advance. I want to know what the stock market's going to look like a year from today so that I will know exactly how to invest my monies and I will be comfortable for the rest of my life. In fact, I'll be rich by the time I'm through with this. And the genie said, your wish is my command, immediately gave him this newspaper page, and there it was, 2020, July. Wow, that's fantastic. And he, and he took and he began to peruse through it and and, and all of the stocks and, and uh, everything that was on there, and he began to think about what he could invest in and how he would be so successful and what he would avoid and... He was so elated, he was so excited, he folded the paper, and as he began to fold it, he noticed on the opposite side of the paper was the obituary with his name in big heading right there at the top. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day when your name's there? You know, I read that periodically just to make sure I'm not there, and so far I haven't found my name But are you ready for the future? Do you have your ticket for eternity, and are you ready to fly? That's a question we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks. Are we ready? Uh, The Thessalonians, as we come to this passage, had a major question. They had sent it, I'm sure, with Timothy because they were confused. You see, when Paul had been there, he told them that Jesus was going to come back and his coming is imminent, and I still believe it's imminent Imminent does not mean that it will be immediate, but it will certainly happen. But I think Paul even thought that it would happen during his lifetime. And so he was probably preaching with the idea that, be ready. You know, we used to sing a song, people get ready, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming soon. And I love that song. That was so great because we thought about the return of Jesus. And so they were thinking about it, but as Paul had been gone for a while... Some people have died who were Christians. And, you know, in, in terms of their beliefs in the past, it was that if a person died, they were dead. That was it. Well, Paul, what about the people that have died? What about our parents? What about my brother or my sister? Or what about the child that died prematurely? Lord, Paul, what, what about these people? And so Paul used this passage to talk about the return of Jesus Christ and the fact that we do not need to be concerned for those who have died for their hope is as great as ours. And, and I like it in chapter 1, in the third verse, Paul was commending them for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Their hope was in the future. It was an assurance of what Jesus was going to do, and it was great. It was fantastic. Well, I want to read this passage. We're only going to look at part of it this morning, uh, but then I want to come back next week and talk about it. But it talks about what we call the rapture. Uh, That doesn't mean something joyous. That is talking spiritually about the fact that we will be caught up to be with Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 13, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, uh, when we talk about asleep, there, Paul is simply talking about those who have died. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus or through Jesus. For this we say that by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord we will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we sh- shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, therefore. Comfort one another with these words. It's hard to lose somebody you love, isn't it? There's all kinds of situations where we lose a loved one. It may be an infant. It it may be a spouse. it, 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 It may be a parent. But Paul wrote this to comfort us. About those things and the very first thing he said in verse 13 is, is we don't want you to be uninformed uh, in the in the King James it says we do not want you and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit we don't want you to be ignorant brethren uh, my dad used to make a play on words he kind of changed uh, the punctuation there to simply say we don't want you ignorant brethren instead of we don't want you to be ignorant brethren and uh, we all caught it, whether you did this morning or not. Uh, but we don't want you to be uninformed. We want you to be comforted, he said in verse 18. And that's the whole idea, is that we should be comforted with the knowledge that God has a plan for those who have died, those who are asleep. It says in verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. When you begin to think about being asleep or death in the Bible, um, it can be taken probably in about three different ways in terms of of a biblical sense, uh, besides the fact of just sleeping. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, you'll remember that Peter, James, and John all went to sleep. And Jesus would wake them up. That was just physical sleep like we do. But when we're talking about sleep here, we're talking about the idea of death. And death, in, in the first way we look at it, is when the body is separated from the soul and the spirit. Paul made a statement in 2 Corinthians. And and we get a picture of what happens here when uh, the body is separated from the soul and the spirit. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse eight, he said, "We are of good be of good church, or we are of good courage." I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And if you go back on up in that chapter, it talks about our body being a temporal thing. It's something that's deteriorating, and as you get older, and I'll guarantee this. Uh, The way your body functions changes. I don't run as fast. I can't run as far. I can't jump as high. Uh, I can't do a lot of those things that I did as a younger person because the body changes. It calls it an old tent. And in time, the old tent just gets laid aside and the spirit goes home to be with the Lord. And uh, so we slough it off. We let it go. Our body is like that. The non-believer, when he dies, his body does not go home to be with, the, or his spirit does not go to be with the Lord. It goes to a waiting place of torment. And if you remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man cried out from Hades. He cried out from where he was to Father Abraham and to Lazarus, just come and put a, a drop of cold water on my tongue. Because there's a separation that's not positive. That's the person who does not know the Lord. It's not just a matter of soul sleep. Some people think that when you die, your body just goes into almost a coma type situation. It's laying there, the soul's there, the spirit's there until Jesus Christ comes back. But the fact is the soul and the spirit are separated from the body. The body deteriorates from dust to dust, to ashes to ashes. The second type of death is a death that we all have when we're born. In Ephesians chapter 2, it it talks about the fact of the idea that when we come into this world, we are spiritually dead. We are not alive in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1, and then down in verse 4 and 6, it says, "...you were dead in your trespasses and sins." And then it goes down to verse uh, 6 through 8, or 4 through 6 in that same passage, and it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so there is that idea that When we come to Jesus Christ, we are made alive in Christ. We're no longer dead. We're no longer spiritually dead. And uh, so we're made alive. If we do not come to Jesus Christ, we're never made alive. And there's the third death I want to talk about here, the third idea of sleeping. And it's really just a continuation of the first or of the second one. And in chapter 20 of Revelations, verses 11 through 15, it says, and it's talking about the final judgment of those who do not know Jesus Christ. And it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. They are the books of their lives. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead... Those who had never received Christ, they were still spiritually dead, were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. (coughs) That's the eternal judgment and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. And that devastates me. Because I know so many, and a lot of people say, I don't want to hear about hell, hellfire and brimstone, but it's part of eternity. And if the people we know, members of our family, friends, people we work with, people who live in our neighborhoods don't know Jesus Christ, they don't have an opportunity to meet him. This is where they end up. And they are spiritually dead. (coughs) I've ministered at three types of funerals. Over the years. One is for those that I'll say who simply have no hope. They have no understanding what it means to have a relationship with Christ. They have no understanding what it means to get to heaven through a relationship with him. To have eternal life. They're lost. I remember a woman that I did a funeral for and... A family member had come and asked me if I would do it, and I went, and I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know the woman. I knew the man who was her family member. And I remember people filed in, and they were from her work. She didn't have a lot of other friends. And they sat in the funeral parlor as I gave that service, and there was absolutely no emotion whatsoever. (coughs) No real hope, no real sorrow. And when the service was over, they really didn't know her or care much about her, and they got up and filed out and went back to work. No hope. I've been in other services where there is no hope and there are people crying. And there's great sorrow because they're gone, they're separated, and there's no hope of eternity. We watch that on television when we see people that are shot and people crying and weeping uncontrollably because there is no hope. There's no way that they come to know the Lord. I'll give you a second type of service that I do. And that is where they think there's some hope. They're a good person. Certainly they'll get to heaven because of that. Their parents were good people. They, Their family members, their neighbors, their friends, they're good people, certainly God will let them in. They are in a, oh, they were going through so much pain and it's so nice that the pain is over now. They've got to be better off. They're in a better place. The Bible talks about either being in the presence of God because of a relationship with Jesus Christ or separated from God for eternity. You've got those two choices. You're not in a better place someplace because you happen to be a good person. And, you know, I, I hear people continually coming back, and but they were friends, and, and they went to church once in a while, and they did this and did that, and there's no evidence, and they just hope. And you know what? When I hear about that, and if the person has heard the gospel message I'll usually try and be encouraging that, yes, maybe they made a decision for Jesus Christ. I hope they did, but I'm never sure. And those are hard services to to perform to to be there and be part of because I don't know for sure what's happened to that person, and the probability is that they aren't with Jesus Christ. There's a third service. This is a service I like. This is a service where there is full assurance that we know where our loved one is. Uh, they, they knew Jesus Christ. They served the Lord. They walked with him. They, they loved Jesus. They would committed their lives to him. He was their Lord. He was their Savior. And you know what? We, it, even though you can sit there and there will be tears, and there will be because we, we don't like the loss of being with that person, not being with that person, And there are tears, but it's not an overwhelming sorrow. In fact, that's exactly what Paul said when he was talking about this passage. He said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, those who are asleep, uh, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve. That you will not have this intense sorrow as do the rest who have no hope. I don't think it's services like that. It's a jumping up and down happiness, but certainly there is a comfort when we realize that we will see them again, and that's what this passage says. In fact, I believe that when Jesus comes back, if they're dead in the grave, my mom and dad are there, that they're going to come up out of that grave physically because God says he's going to raise them with an imperishable body. And I'm going to go up and my body is going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And it's exciting to realize that. And and, and so I'm going to see them again. And it's not goodbye, but it's until we see each other again. And that is such a happy, positive thing. It's it's not happy, but at least it brings joy. and, And we get together and we talk about their lives. And there is hope realizing where they are. You know, there's five things that the church should do. Five things that God calls us to do as a church. Five things he calls us to do as individuals. I want to give them to you this morning. They come from the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. To be a Great Commission, Great Commandment churches, there are five things that should be evident. They should be balanced. Number one, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And number one is that we need to love God. That's worship. That's what we come to do on Sunday morning. And that's what we do or should be doing when we're singing and we're praising God and we reflect on who he is and we we give him glory, and that's worship. And the church ought to be involved in worship. We're to love others. We're to minister to the needs of others. I, I believe that's going to happen this week as people go down to empire. That hopefully would happen within our church. If a person comes in on Sunday morning and they're struggling and maybe they've got some medical tests the next day, or they've got issues going on in their life and they just need somebody to come along and be a friend and say, I care about you. That's ministering to their needs. There's all kinds of ways that we minister. God's given us all ministries that we can be involved in within the body and outside of the body. Then it goes on to the great commandment, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them then to observe all that I've commanded you. When it says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You experience the presence of God as you're doing the things God asks you to do. But he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That has to do with church fellowship. That has to do with identifying visibly with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That has to do with identifying with the body of Christ and being part of it. Fellowship is so important. Getting into a fellowship group, having people that you spend time with, that you build relationships with, not just coming to the church and going out the door, but building those relationships. Fellowship is so important. And then teaching them to observe has to do with nurturing or teaching to observe, to carry on what, what God asks us to. That's A lot of people call that discipleship. And those four things ought to be true. But you want to know something? Of all of those four things, when I get to heaven, my worship's going to be better. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to see him, and man, my worship's going to be good. Number two, when I get to heaven, I'm going to identify with the believers there. (laughs) I'm I'm part of the family. Number three, when I get to heaven, fellowship's going to be fantastic. And when I get to heaven, I'm not going to need to be nurtured and discipled. I'll probably ask Peter, hey, Peter, what was it like to walk on the water? A few other things like that. What was it like? I'll get all the teaching I need in heaven. Why doesn't God just take us out of here? Why doesn't he just remove us? All of those things, those four things, we're going to do better in heaven. You know why? Because there's one thing that we won't do better in heaven. I, uh, I was thinking about this message. I was thinking about the events of the week. And uh, as I, I was thinking about them, I, I came to two things that I can't do when I get to heaven. I said, Darlene, I've got two things I can't do when I get to heaven. What things won't you be able to do when you get to heaven? She says, well, we won't have kids. And we won't have to get married And I went, oh, yeah, those are true. There's probably a few more things I won't do. But there are two things that stood out to me. Number one, when I get to heaven, I won't sin anymore. Sin will no longer have an influence in my life. It's going to be changed. I'm going to be transformed completely. But you know what else? The Great Commission, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. I won't be a witness anymore. Romans chapter 10, it says, how can a person be saved if they don't hear the message? And then it says, how can they hear the message without a pastor or a teacher or a witness? Someone who's sharing the gospel with them. I I think that is so important. Back in the book of Acts, Jesus was ascending into heaven. It says we're going to see him come back just as we saw him go. That's what we're going to get into next week. But in Acts 1, verse 6, it says, When they they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom? They want to know about the future. They want to know what was going to happen. You're restoring the kingdom to Israel. And he said, It's not for you to know the times. He changed the subject entirely. It's not for, you know, the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but this is what you do, and here's where he changed it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the very remotest part of the earth. It doesn't that you do it in, in sequence, but those things all should happen at once. And after he'd said these things, he was filled up, he, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, and they also said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just that same way." As you have watched him go into heaven. And I believe that's the rapture. But you know what God calls us to do. That we can't do at heaven. That's so positive. We can't share Jesus with the lost. I can't lead someone to receive Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to tell you something. I can't save anybody. Only God saves people. Only God forgives sin. I don't have that ability. But I'll tell you what. I do have the ability to lead them to his presence, to the foot of the cross. And that's the thing I won't be able to do in heaven. I can let people know how to have that relationship with Jesus Christ so when it comes to that end judgment, they aren't there, but their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, there's an old saying, you can lead a a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And somebody said, well, you can feed him salt. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily make him drink. I can't force someone to come to know Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, if you never lead the horse to water, he can die of thirst because he's not there. One of the greatest things that we as Christians can do is reach people for Jesus Christ. All five of those things are important. Number one, worship's important. Number two, ministry is important. Number three, evangelism is important. Number four, fellowship is important. Number five, nurturing or discipleship is important. But if you're going to choose one of those to make your priority, oh, if I just evangelize or if we just have great fellowship or if we just Man, if we just have this great worship, then we're really good. And we are. But our neighbor is still lost. We have two ministries going on this week that we need to be praying about and we need to be involved in. One has to do with the MT, Empire Missions Trip. And I hope you go home and you pray for those that are going every day. Uh, everybody that's going on that trip, would you stand up for me, please? Okay. took Lance a while to get up there for a minute, but uh, he had two beauties on either side, so thorn among the roses, Uh, but I hope you're praying for them, that you looked at them and you hold them up before the Lord, because they're taking the word of God, and it is so important. Friday night, we're going to have a video here. I'm not presenting the gospel. We're looking at Dumbo nobody's going to get the gospel out of Dumbo. I guarantee you. I looked at it the other night. You're not going to get the gospel from Dumbo. But you are going to see the fellowship of believers if you come and you don't know Jesus Christ. And you're going to find that there's a place that you can come and be part of, and that's why I ask you to be here, because people need to see that. Our Vacation Bible School people that come need to see that. Your friends who don't go to church anywhere need to see that. We need to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I'm going to ask you to be involved. To put Friday aside, to sign up back there to bring some food, to to give that card out to somebody, to bring a friend. Because we need to be doing that. Don't take it lightly. It's about the only thing of the five principles that I see that I'm not going to do well in heaven because it's too late. So make it a priority. And as we come to the communion service, you'll realize what Jesus Christ did for you for the same purpose. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I didn't come for the healthy person. I didn't come for the person that thinks he has it all together, but for those who are sick. And so we need to be the attendants in the hospital to share Jesus Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father, next week we're going to talk about liftoff. Talk about the flight. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is going to come and he's going to catch us up to be with him in the air. But this week, Father, I just want to talk about the importance of being a witness. Because it talks about the dead, Father, and if they go and die without Jesus, there is no more opportunity. They don't come back for a second chance. They don't get another opportunity. Our friends and family members need to know Jesus. Thankfully, I won't sin in heaven, but sorrowfully, those who I've missed down here won't be there either. So, Father, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us guidance in terms of how we can be a witness for you, Father. Thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.